May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God, our Father, and from his Son, our Savior, who is soon to go to his cross. I'd like you to try to think of the longest word you know. You don't have to try to write it down or restrain yourself from shouting out your best choice. I'm sure that for some of you, Mary Poppins, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, 34 letters, 34 letters, easy to roll off of her lips, backwards, forwards, both ways. Then there's this unusually long name of a certain village in Wales. I have it typed in front of me here, but I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Uh, in, in English, it has 58 letters. In Welsh, only 51. But some of you older types are ready to tell me that the winner is the 28-letter-long word anti-disestablishmentarianism because it is the longest word in the English language that is, one, not a made-up word, two, not a geographical location, and three, not some scientific term. It actually refers to a movement within the Church of England to decide whether or not the established church should also be the Church of Ireland. But I'm not going to focus on any certain long word this morning, but on a short two-letter word, if, because it is all over today's gospel reading. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts to ponder the word of God about many really big ifs. People God dearly loves. Who are the people in the story? What do we know about them? We first meet Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Jesus has told the story about a Samaritan who shows compassion for a man robbed and assaulted on the dangerous Jerusalem to Jericho Road. And right after this, Jesus enters the village of Bethany where he is welcomed and hosted by Martha and her sister Mary. Bethany, we learn from John a little while later, is really just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley. So while Martha cleans and cooks, Mary sits at Jesus' feet listening and learning. But in today's gospel, John makes sure we know which Mary this is, and he does this by referencing an event which will happen in the next chapter. Now that seems odd that it's completely out of order, but I remind you that the Gospel of John wasn't written for perhaps some 50 years after all of these events. So John is clarifying for his readers then and us now which Mary this is and which Martha also. This is the Mary who earlier sat at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching. But it's the one who also took expensive ointment, some nard, poured it on Jesus' feet, and used her own hair to wipe the fragrant perfume. No, she doesn't have a foot fetish. But Mary will, in today's gospel, fall down at Jesus' feet when she meets him outside of Bethany. All of that is backstory. But Lazarus, though he never speaks, 
and only finally appears at the end, he is the center of this story. He is ill. He is terminally ill. Though we and the 12 disciples don't know that just yet, Lazarus is at the center of this challenging story. And six significant ifs are in this narrative. I'm going to move, them, move through them pretty quickly. You might want to reread John 11 later today at a slower pace. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles. Light is one of the key words in the Gospel of John. And Jesus is really echoing here the truth that he is the light of the world. In verse 12, Jesus tells the disciples that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I am going to wake him up. But the disciples don't understand. They say, Lord, if he's sleeping, that probably means he's recovering from his illness. Verses 21 and 32 have the same bold proclamation. First Mary, first Martha, then Mary says point blank to Jesus. If you had been here when Lazarus was ill and when we first summoned you, then my brother, our brother, would not have died. The sixth if is in verse 40. When Jesus finally comes to the grave of Lazarus, he orders, take away the stone from the entrance of the cave grave. But Martha protests. It's been four days since Lazarus died and was buried. He's really dead, and his body is certainly decomposing. There's going to be a nasty odor. But Jesus replies, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Now, I might surprise you a little bit, but I'm going to give you more ifs, because as I read and studied this interesting and challenging story last week, I found six of them, not spoken or printed, but they are implied in this narrative. Again, I'll move rather quickly. The first one is in verse 8. We don't know how far from Jerusalem Jesus has walked with his disciples, but when Jesus says, fellas, we're turning around, we're going back to Judea, his disciples caution him. I'll put it this way. What they're saying is, if we go back, you'll be in big danger, Jesus. Did you forget that when we left, when we left the Jews, we're trying to stone you? When Jesus is persistent, Thomas says to his fellow disciples, this is in verse 16, let's go with our Lord. If he dies, then we will die with him. The third implied if is in these wonderful words of Jesus in verses 25 and 26. But you will notice that I didn't want to get there too quickly this morning. Whoever believes in me as the promised Messiah, even if he dies physically, he will live and never die. The fourth and the clearest one is in verse 37. 
When the bystanders from Jerusalem see Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, they say, if this man could open a blind man's eyes, surely he could have kept this other man from dying. I've already mentioned the fifth one. It's in verse 39. It's Martha's caution. If the grave is opened after four days, Lazarus' body will stink. And the final one is in verse 43. I have to point this out because it's true and a bit funny at the same time. When the stone is rolled away, Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. He calls him by name because if Jesus hadn't done so, any number of the other corpses in that tomb might have hopped out of the grave with Lazarus. We're two weeks away from the greatest if. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, then how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead, no resurrection for Lazarus, nor for Martha, nor for Mary, nor for Rexanne, nor for William, nor for James? Paul continues, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And, our, and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul cannot stop there. He continues in verses 20 and 22, also 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead so also in Christ shall all be made alive, including Lazarus, who came out of the grave, but 10 or 20 or 30 years later was back inside a tomb. And this includes Martha and Mary, as well as Rexanne and Bill and James and Gerald and June and Christian Robert and Barry, and Danny, and Joseph, and Kenneth. We have and use lots of big words to deliver the gospel, the good news. Annunciation is one of them, especially because of yesterday. Incarnation, which we dealt with for a while in Bible class today, is another one. Then there are crucifixion and resurrection and justification and resuscitation. By the mysterious and delightful arrangement of the scripture readings during Lent in series A, we hear a resurrection story this morning two weeks before the resurrection festival. Before another body before another grave, before another group of mourning women, before another tomb is opened, not to let Jesus out, 
but to show that he is gone, that he is alive, that he is not captive to death's power. His cross is ours. His death is ours. His tomb is ours. His resurrection is ours. For by baptismal washing, we die and are buried and are raised with Christ. We need this truth every Sunday, not just on Easter morning. We need to hear this good news because we are dry, very dry bones, bleached and lifeless bones. We are dead in our sins. We cannot live unless. That's the question Yahweh asks Ezekiel. Can these bones live? He can only say, Oh, Lord God, you alone know. So the Lord says to the prophet, if you speak my word to the bones, something will happen. For when the Ruach, the spirit, the breath of God does its work, then resuscitation will happen. It can happen. It does happen. For Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we boldly confess with Martha, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.